Thank you for engaging today's message with Wind River Community Church. Our prayer for you is that you will encounter Christ and grow in your relationship with Him. May this encourage you in connecting with other people who follow Jesus as well as knowing you are not alone. If you would like prayer, please text us at 307-240-8742 or if you would like more information about this program or past messages, visit our website at windriverchurch.com. I look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life. And now, here is today's message. We're on our third week in a series on, on the Holy Spirit. And in, if you've missed either one of the, the first two, you can go to our website and you can pick it up and you can catch the message there. You can watch it and you can kind of get caught up to where we're at. But I'll just give you the, the cliff note on it. The first week, we realized that that God has given us the Holy Spirit and that if we want our prayer life to be empowered and to, to have great strength behind it, that prayer life needs to be empowered and infused by the Holy Spirit. And so we want to learn how to pray by the Spirit. Last week we discovered from God's Word that God actually has a task for all of us to do. He has given you a purpose in this life, but you will only be able to fulfill that purpose and find the meaning in that purpose and to see it make a, an eternal difference when the Holy Spirit is at work within you. That's what we learned last week. This week, I want to help you to discover from God's Word... Um, that God gave us the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has designed a life for you to live. It's a Holy Spirit-designed life. It's, it's the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in us. He's always with us, at working in us and through us. And so we need to discover what that looks like and then how do we step into that into that life. And so we really want to come back to our theme verse again because it's the, the message that God gave to Zechariah as, as a picture of what the New Testament church was going to be like. And so he said to Ze this to Zechariah, then, then he, that's the angel that was talking to Zechariah, said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And so there's nothing that we can do. There's really, I mean, we can do life without the Holy Spirit as a believer, but I'm going to tell you right now, you try to do that and you are going to find frustration. You're going to find yourself wondering why you feel like there's something missing. You're going to feel like your spiritual life is dry like an autumn leaf. You're just wondering why life just isn't moving along in the right direction. And, and the and the purpose, the reason is, is because God has always intended for His Holy Spirit to be at work in each of our lives to move us, because that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's the, the breath, the wind of God that propels me in a way that I could never go on my own. But in order for us to get God's best version of who we are, when, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we have to actually go to the, to the place of the beginning. Without the Holy Spirit working in our lives, you would never be able to pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. You would be lacking something. There will be something missing, not quite there, not quite right in your life. And you will wonder what it is right here that, that I just feel incomplete. So if we go to the beginning, we go to 2 Corinthians. 
Paul said this to the Second Corinthian church, to the church in Corinth. He said, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now let me tell you what that veil is. That veil that Paul's talking about to the church is this thing that kind of, when you have a veil over your face, you might be able to see, but you will never see clearly. You will see just a shadow of what's there. You don't get the full picture of really what's there. A veil just kind of clouding things so you can't see it. And so that veil really represents two things that I believe. I believe, first of all, what that veil represents is our own sinful life. As long as we walk in the flesh, as we walk in our own way, doing our own thing, we have this veil that hangs over us so that we can't really see spiritual things for what they're supposed to be. Plus, then the second part of that is the enemy of our soul. He's out to keep people blind from seeing God for who he really is. So he wants to bring this veil to hang over our face. And so then, he's, then Paul goes on to say, for the Lord is the Spirit... And wherever the, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Say it again, there is? Freedom. There it is. And so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. This is really kind of a, a, a for us who are walking with Jesus, we go, well, I don't, I don't get that. Paul, when he was writing his first letter to the Corinthian church, there's a couple of different things that he said to them. And it boils down to this, that when you have a conversation with somebody who is far from Christ, doesn't know God, and you're trying to explain spiritual things to them, they look at you like you're from Mars. They look at you like, dude, you're a little bit psycho right now. Like, um, you think that there's this God that's, intimately involved in your life and that he wants nothing but the best for you and that if you give control of your life over to him he'll lead and guide you like they go that that's you know that's hollywood that's star wars that's the force will be with you if you find a therapist i'm sure they can help you come back to reality that's what people think who are far from god Paul said it this way, the reason why they can't grasp those spiritual truths is because they're still spiritually dead. But then somebody comes along and either introduces them and says, this is who Jesus is and this is what he does for you. By the way, without Jesus, your life is going to be a total mess. And the reason your life is a mess is because you've got this sin issue that's still taking control of your life. And the only way to deal with the sin issue in your life is to go to Jesus because he's the one that already paid for that sin issue and can release you from that sin so that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's Jesus. He's the only one that can do that. And they're going like, why hasn't anybody told me this before? And so they ask and pray for Jesus to forgive them of their sin and to be the Lord of their life. And then they become what, what Jesus said is you will be born again. In other words, you become spiritually alive. And then all of a sudden, all those things that, that didn't make sense to you before you became a believer, before you started walking with Christ, all those spiritual things that you heard, and you're going like, I don't understand this. How can that make sense? All of a sudden, because the Spirit is alive in you, and now you are spiritually alive, all of a sudden, those things that are coming to you from the Spirit of God, all of a sudden, you're going like, oh, I get that now. 
Wow, this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. And then moment after moment, day after day, year after year, the Spirit keeps revealing more and more and more into your life and you become deeper in love with Jesus. You have a greater appreciation for the Word of God. You have a prayer life that you never thought could ever happen because basically your last prayer, of the prayer you prayed before you became a Christian was rub-a-dub-dub, thanks God for the grub which is nothing spiritual. It doesn't mean anything. But then all of a sudden you start talking, my Father who is in heaven, you are great and mighty, holy is your name. You are before and you are after. There is none like you. you. You are the creator of everything. You have nothing but good from you. Have the, all of a sudden it goes to this intimacy with God because the veil has been removed and you get to see the glory of God shining through all of that. What really is most amazing to me is that when the Holy Spirit starts to do His work in our life, when we say yes to Jesus, and we say to Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, lead and direct and guide my life, all of a sudden, um, there's this transformation that takes place in our lives. Our attitudes, our behavior, our words, our thought process, our desires, the way we view money, the way we view other people, the relationships we have, they all change because we're starting to look more like Jesus inwardly then, and when that happens, people will sit up and take notice of your life. They're like, I'm not really sure what hap has happened, but something big is taking place in your life. This happened the first time that, that it's really recorded in the Word of God for us. It happened in, in Acts 11, and it happened at this city called Antioch. And at Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. What Christian means when, when you, you know, take that word and you break it down, what, that, what the people in Antioch meant about Jesus' disciples and calling them Christians is that they are little Christs. In other words, there's been this transforming work of Jesus it's in such a deep way in people's lives that they no longer look like who they used to be, but now they're starting to look more like Jesus. They're, they're starting to model their life after Christ, and so they're, they're, they're going, you all are nothing but a bunch of little Christ. You're not even who you used to be. You're little Christ now. What, what is going to call you Christians? And, and that was great because it really was an identifying mark in their life that really set them apart from everybody else because you, you had everybody else that worshipped some other false god, some other narrative that was powerless and, and un unable to do anything of value in anybody's life. And then you have this transforming work of the Holy Spirit that turns these people into little Christs running around everywhere. And, and that was really really great, but one of the problems that has happened is that over the centuries, that word Christian 
has taken on a broader meaning, meaning than it originally meant. The rub comes this way now. You go around the world, around the United States, and there are thousands, maybe millions of people who call themselves Christians. And yet when you sit down and you start to discuss the tenets of faith, what you believe, what you hold to be valuable, the Word of God, and what it means to your life, you will find out that that, that person over there that calls themselves a Christian, and you know you're a Christian, and you start to have this conversation that you are worlds apart. That what you say and what you believe and you hold as, as the absolute truth of God, they would say, nah, not really. That's not that important. Well, I don't really think he meant it that way. And all of a sudden you're going like, how do you call yourself a Christian? When you're unwilling to obey what the Word of God says, when you're unwilling to step in and follow Jesus in everything that He said we should do, that's where the rub comes in, and we've got this thing going on in our life where we've got people calling themselves Christians, and yet they don't live their life like God even exists. And that becomes a problem because then what happens is the unbelieving world says, well, you're a Christian, but they're a Christ- they claim to be a Christian too. And, and you guys don't do anything the same. You are world apart from one another. So we've ch- changed our um, title at Wind River Community Church. You've probably heard this language. Um, you might want to adopt it as your own just to give clarity. And you will make people go, huh? But we refer to ourselves as Christ followers. Uh, and and it, it's self-explanatory, but people are still going to go like, what do you mean you're a Christ follower? Well, this is what Jesus did, so that's what we're going to do. Jesus said, don't do that, so we're not going to do that. Jesus said, we should do this, so we're going to do that. And it's not out of obligation. It's not me trying to earn my, my way with God. It's not me trying to make myself look good to God so he'll accept me, it's because I know what Jesus did for me and I love him so much, this is what I'm going to do. And so I'm a Christ follower. And people are like, well, wait a minute. But let me say this. If you're going to be a Christ follower, then there are some things that should be evident and ongoing in your life as a Christ follower. The Apostle Paul said it this way to the Galatians church. He said, let me ask you this one question. He says, I've only got one question to ask you. One. Galatian church, uh, I think they were in trouble with Paul. Okay, let's bring it back to one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? In other words, he's saying, did you obey the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. All the thou shalt not do things and the things you're supposed to do, is that how you got filled with the Holy Spirit? Is that how it happened? Paul wants to know. And and he says, of course that's not the way it happened. You received the Holy Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting a new life, your new life in the Spirit, why are you trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? You you see, that's, that's where the rub really comes for us. 
Because when we step into relationship with God, it's no longer about what I can do to make things happen for me. It's what I could submit myself to God so that He can make things happen. I, can't, I, don't have, I don't have the strength, the ability, the power. I don't have the spiritual prowess to make good things happen, spiritual things to happen in my life. It has to be the Holy Spirit who is in me in order for that to happen. It's not my effort. My effort will amount to nothing every single time. And so that's, that's really where Paul is pushing on the Christ followers. We have to recognize that we've got this sin problem and that we, we can't deal with it and God can. And then when he does deal with it, what he will do is he will give you a new desire for everything. He will point to things that are offensive to him. There are things in my life I know offend God. I know they offend the Holy Spirit. He will teach us. He will counsel you. He will help you. So in the words of Paul, stop trying to do it yourself. <laughs> Let's let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit in our life. You will only frustrate and confuse yourself and wonder why you're not going anywhere in your relationship with Jesus. So here's the question of the day. How do we live a Spirit-designed life? It starts with your willingness to let the Holy Spirit do something in your life. I, I want you to, here's what I, you, you have to hear this before we can go on. Write it down. That's, that's sign language for write it down, just in case you didn't get my sign language, okay? Write this down. Because God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit the Godhead, the Trinity that we worship, we love, they will never go to a place that they are never invited to go to. They will never force their way into your life. You can say no, and they will not come. You can say not now, and they will not come. Because they're the perfect gentleman, they will not force themselves to do anything that you won't allow them to do. That's why I said you have to let the Holy Spirit do something in your life. You have to ask. You have to be willing to surrender. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to come and do something. And by the way, where you're at presently in your life, I know that God is speaking to you and He's saying, here's the thing that we're going to talk about. Here's the issue we're going to deal with today. Here's the place where you need to grow. This is the part of your life that's offensive to me. Let's talk about it and deal with it so that we can move on. And if you say no, 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 and no, he's going to say, okay, that's great. But I want you to know something. He's going to come back tomorrow and he's going to say, here's what we need to talk about. Here's what we need to deal with. This is the thing that's offensive in, in your life to me. Let's talk about it. No, 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 no. And then the next day, the Holy Spirit's like, we ain't going nowhere. I can do this for an eternity. I'm going to be right here. And here's the big news. Until you deal with that thing, you will never move on to, to greater things. That thing has to be dealt with. 
You will never grow deeper. You will never go know God in a greater way. You can read the Bible all you want to, but if you have something that the Holy Spirit's poking you on and you're not dealing with it, He will keep coming back to that and you have to learn that lesson before you can move on. He'll keep bringing it back to you. Some of you are going like, oh, I know now. So the first thing that we have to do in order to have a to really live a Holy Spirit-designed life, a Holy Spirit-transformed life, is that we need to let the Holy Spirit reveal to us what God wants to do. He wants to reveal things to you. He has, he has an agenda for your life, and it's not a bad agenda. He's not trying to make you miserable. He's not trying to say, now I'm going to dress you up in a white shirt and a tie and slacks, and you're going to hold your hands like this, and you're going to sing really old, these and thou, boring kind of songs. He wants to make you alive. He doesn't want to put you in bondage to anything. He wants, to, he wants you to become alive in him, so he wants to reveal things to you. In John chapter 16, Jesus is, is having... Let me back up. Let me just take a, a little step backwards. I'm going to go into a cul-de-sac just for half a second here, okay? We're on the right path. It's a little cul-de-sac turn, okay? I'm going to go in here, and here's what it is. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. That, those five chapters are around the last supper Jesus is having with his disciples. You, you get that the first 12 chapters of, of John are the first three years of his life, and these five chapters are the last few hours of his life. He's doing some deep teaching, some great theology. He's helping them to understand things that are just out of their mind that they can't really get a grasp on. He's going, I'm going to help you understand this. And one of those things in John chapter 16 is he's talking extensively about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit will work and what he will do in our lives. And so here's what he says. And he says, when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin... Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Some of us, right? He convicted me of my sin. I was able to repent and confess it and, and turn away from it and walk with God. So he convicted the world of sin and of God's righteousness. Here's what your sin looks like. Here's God's righteousness. You need to step into this. This is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He'll reveal to you God's righteousness. And then the third thing is of the coming judgment. In other words, one of the Holy Spirit's going... We don't have a lot of time. Jesus is coming back. Share your faith. And we're like, oh yeah, I got to do that. But I want to go back to that word convict. Because we can get that word confused with another word. When, when it talks about conviction of the Holy Spirit, what it is is it's when we've said something, we've done something, we've looked at something, we've thought something, that was contrary to what God has for it. It's not God's best design for our life. And then the Holy Spirit who's in here says, that was not good. No bueno on that one. Listen, I want you to know we can do better. We can have something greater. God has something much more powerful for you. You're, you're eating out of, the, of the, the hog trough when there's a banquet table set over here. And the Holy Spirit nudges us that way because right in here 
there's this little thing that starts to turn, and the theological word for that is Holy Spirit ucky. It's really ucky in here. You're going like, oh, ee, ah. And you're like, I don't know what that is. Pizza? And then you go like, I haven't eaten for 12 hours. It can't be that. And it won't go away. You, you lay down and you try to go to sleep. And you're just about to drift off into Never Neverland. And the Holy Spirit goes, boop. And you're like, oh, there's that thing again. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Where we get confused is what the enemy, his word, condemnation. Condemnation belittles, degrades, uses false guilt and shame to try and keep you in this place under the thumb of your sin, under the thumb of his power. It really, here's, here's, here's what Satan does. He goes like this. This is what he says on condemnation. This is, this is what a condemning voice sounds like. You just did that? You think God could love someone like you? I can't believe you call yourself a Christ follower. Why should he ever forgive you of that sin? You know how many times you've committed that? You know what kind of a wretched, no good for nothing person you are? I can't believe you slipped back into that. That's condemnation. And if you hear that, that is not of the Lord. That's of the devil. And you need to do this. Shut up! In Jesus' name. Because here's what, here's what the Holy Spirit will do. He's going to go like, you know that's wrong. You know you just sinned. You sinned against God first. You sinned against your family. You sinned against yourself. You sinned. You've sinned against the church, right? Yeah. Okay. Hey, good news. What? Confess that. Okay, I did something that's really bad, and I'm, I'm, please forgive me. Yep, forgiven. Get up. Get out of the mire. I'm going to clean you up. We're going to go do better, okay? Me and you together. We're better. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what happens when you're convicted of your sin. That means you're going to repent, confess, and turn away from it and walk with God. That's, that's the difference of what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And, and, and we should be so thankful for that because he doesn't want to keep us down there. He wants to help us move along. He wants us to, to do better. But that's not all the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't just come in and, and tell you when you've done something wrong. He's going to tell you which way to go. Isaiah said it this way. And your ear shall hear a word from behind you, back here, saying, this is the way, walk in it. And you're like, this way? Yeah, this way. And when you when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. If, see, this is the part where as, as spirit-empowered Christ followers, we tune our ear to the Spirit for revelation. He's going to point us and help us to go in the direction that we need to go. I mean, this is, this is, such, this is really big news. Matter of fact, I had a guy that told me not long ago, like maybe about a year ago, he was sitting right here in this church service. And, and, and we sang the three songs. And he was pretty new to being in this church. 
We sang the three songs, and then the message was given. And then we have that third song. That third song is where we're contemplating and we're pouring our heart out to God. There's been a prayer. I've prayed a prayer. And now we're, we're meditating on and we're singing the words. And he said to me, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I heard this voice behind me. And the voice said, if you will give me your life, I will make it something you never thought it could be. And I said, well, what'd you do? He said, I looked behind me to see who was talking to me. And I said, and? He says, it was the Lord. I said, okay, so now what? He says, if the Lord asks you for something, you better give it to him. Amen? Yeah, I mean, that's a heart. Now, now listen, he heard that spirit voice. He's listening all the time to hear what the Spirit's saying to him so that he doesn't go this way, he goes this way. So that when the Spirit says, get down and pray, he gets down and pray. When the Spirit says, open your mouth and say something to that guy, he opens his mouth and says something to that guy. That's what the Spirit does. Yeah, he convicts us of sin because he wants us to, there's a better version of us that he's trying to create. And part of that is, is, is conviction and repentance and confession. And the other part is following the lead of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I've grown up in the church. I, listen, I think I was born on a Friday, and on Sunday I was in church. My dad was a pastor. You didn't get to, you didn't get to miss it. One time, I can remember, I was in the eighth grade, and I was like, you know what? I'm thinking to myself, I don't say this out loud, because George is, he's got ears everywhere. I, I honestly, when I was a kid growing up, I thought that what God heard me say, he told my dad. <laughs> I swear he did. So I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I don't want to go to church. Uh, it's just not, you know. So I just said to my mom and dad Sunday morning, hey, I really want to go to church today. My mom and dad must have had this conversation, knew that this conversation was going to come from one of their kids. And by the way, I was the only idiot that did it. And they said, okay, you can stay home. Well, the problem is, is that the church is right here in our house. There was a driveway that separated the church. I can't go out and play basketball because that will disturb the church. I have to sit in the house. We, didn't, we had antennas on the TV, and all they had on was old time religion TV and that's worse than church so I'm sitting there going like and so I'm sitting in the house and I'm thinking like well what can I do can't play checkers with anybody ah man this this and all of a sudden I can hear all the singing I can hear my dad preaching and but yet I'm at, I'm at home and still at church and I thought okay so anyway after church my younger brother's going to go up to our friend's house because that's kind of what we would do. We'd go up and mess around all, you know, get in the creek and chase cows and mess with the chickens and do all kinds of stupid stuff. And so I thought, hey, yeah. So I said to my mom and dad, I said, yeah, I want to go too. And my dad goes, mm, mm-mm. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you don't go to church. You don't go anywhere. You get to stay home all day long. And I was like, ah. Oh. So I learned I can get a really good nap in church and still go out and have fun afterwards. <laughs> but I tell you, because I've been in church 
All my life, I've been there. And it's not a bragging point. It's just, it's just a fact that I, I've just been in church all my life. And so I have seen a lot of people come to church. And, and this is what my observation is. The majority of the people who are coming to church are coming because they need something from God. There is a desperation in their heart. There is an angst in their soul. There is a desire for more. And so these people are coming. But every once in a while, you will get that person who comes to church not because they want something from God, but because now it is a time for them to make, it, it, it is a public relations time. And they come in and they go, look at me. Look how good I am. I'm going to church and everything, and I didn't fall asleep or nothing. And I gave a couple bucks in that bucket when it went by. And that was really good too. Look how good I am. The problem is that this cat should read the Bible because there is the same kind of thing going on in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus, remember, Jesus had told his, all of his disciples, 120 of them, go to the upper room and stay there till my Holy Spirit comes upon you. They were there. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, woof, the sound of a rushing wind, people from all across, all around Jerusalem thought this house should have been destroyed by the wind that hit it. And so they showed up. And Peter, who is now filled with the Holy Spirit, who before was being filled with the Holy Spirit, couldn't put two sentences together without getting himself in trouble. Now he stands up under the power of the Holy Spirit. He preaches a message. And 3,000 people come to faith in Christ and are baptized that very day. And, and, the, and Acts then goes on to tell you, in Acts chapter 3, thousands of people are coming to Christ. In Acts chapter 4, more people are coming. I mean, it is an amazing time to be a part of this birth of this new church, this thing that Jesus has put together and said, it will never fail. Not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against the onslaught of the church. And Jesus is making this, this whole thing come to fruition. And then all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 5, they hit a brick wall. Bam! In Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 4, people are so moved by the Spirit of God, and God is doing such great things in their life, but that now they're going out and they're selling their houses, they're selling their businesses, their property, they're taking things from, from their treasury, from from their inheritance that are of great value and they're selling all this stuff and they're bringing all that money and they're giving it to the church, to the apostles and they say, take this money because we want you to do, we want you to grow the church. We want to get on board and help out with this. But in Acts chapter 5, it all comes to a screeching halt because this couple named Ananias, that's the man, and Sapphira, they come in and they take a piece of their property and they sell that property and then they take that property, the money, the proceeds from that money, and they sit down together as husband and wife, and they go like, okay, so we'll give this much to the church, and we'll keep this much for ourselves. Okay, Sapphira, I'm with you all the way, Ananias. And so they go in, and they take the money, not all of it, the money, and they bring it into the building where Peter and the apostles are, and they lay it at their feet, and they said, look how good we are. We sold our, our property, and here are all the proceeds from that property. And Peter's like, Ananias, are you telling me that this is everything you got from the sale of the property? 
And Ananias is like, oh, that's all of it. That's what Sapphira ran off to do something. And, and so then Peter said to him, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You have lied to the Holy Spirit, and you have kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, and, and as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard those words, he fell down dead right there on the floor. Now, okay, I really have a... I, I hate to laugh about this, but to me it's like... Because here's, here's what happens next. There's these young guys sitting over here on the sidelines. They're in the church, maybe talking or having Bible study or something. Young guys. So somewhere in their late teens, maybe early 20s, these young guys are sitting over there and they're going like... That dude's dead. What should we do? Go in the linen closet. Get a sheet. So they go, okay. So they go and they grab Ananias. These young guys, it's like, hey, we're the team that calls out the dead bodies. We're just sitting here waiting for somebody to die. We got one now. And that's their ministry, dead body removal. So, so they roll him up in the sheet, and, you, and there's probably you know, three or four of them, and, and they pick them up. I got the head, you got, yep. And so they're carrying Ananias out, and everybody's going, what you got there? Dead man walking. <laughs> and they're walking out, and, 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 and they go and they dig a hole, and they bury Ananias. I mean, this just kind of hit my funny bone when I was, when I was reading this, because I'm just thinking, it, the Bible literally says, and young men rolled him up in a sheet and took him out and buried him. And I'm going like, well, that's pretty funny right there. These guys are just waiting for something to happen. Didn't see that coming. Let's get him out of here. So then as Sapphira, she walks back in into the meeting where the apostles are. And, and, and Peter says to Sapphira, he goes like, when you and Ananias brought the money together, did you guys both determine that this was the amount? This was everything? This is, you guys agree this is the money? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, and, and um, Peter's going like, you hear those, those young guys standing right out the door? She's going, yeah, what about them? Well, because you guys conspired to test the Holy Spirit. Those guys just took your husband, Ananias, and they buried him because he dropped over dead because he lied to the Holy Spirit just like you did. And boom, she fell dead. And the fellows walk back in. They go, what happened while we were gone? Another one? Really? Man, this ministry is growing. <laughs> Roll her up. Haul her out, bury her next to her husband. Now here's the crazy thing, is what happened because of what happened. And it's found in Acts chapter 5. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Okay, so get this. It's all the church people going like, <laughs> and everybody else is like, ah. But, but see, this fear that's gripped the church isn't like, I'm so afraid of God. I don't want to, don't look wrong because he'll zap you dead. That wasn't the fear at all. It wasn't a fearful fear. It was a fear that brought them back to the realization that God is God and we are not. And that God wanted, wants people to know that he is a God of power and of might. And that he created the universe. And as far as I know, that creation might be still going on to the far reaches where we can't even see. It's still creating itself. It's still going. He's the one that, that makes the, 
the, the sun to rise in the east and the moon to come up. He's the one that placed all the stars in the sky and named them. He has done everything. He's the one that is the sustainer of life. And Ananias and Sapphira forgot that. And when they fell over dead, the rest of the church went, you know what? God is a holy God, and he still cares about holiness. I'm afraid that there's people who are attending church that are going like, yeah, you know, me and Jesus, we're, we're buddies. We fist pump, and, you know, we got this high five and all that kind of stuff going on. He's my homie. He's my gangster. Me and Jesus, we're just... Hanging five, ten. We're, you know, we're together. That is not who Jesus is. Jesus is not somebody's homie. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that paid for the price of our sin on the cross and was resurrected on the third day. He's the, he is the only one that can rescue a soul from the pit of hell. And he is to be worshipped. He is to be exalted. His name is to be lifted on high. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do, and he will remind us of that. Um, so, in Proverbs it says that the fear of the Lord is life, a life-giving fountain. It's that reverent awe. And when we get to that place of reverence with God, all of a sudden we find the life bubbling up in us because the Holy Spirit's there participating and taking... Uh, part of this. So we have this amazing relationship with God that people in the Old Testament never had. They never had it, ever. But we have it because we can come to the throne of God boldly, reverently, and yet boldly, coming in and saying, hey, I've got some big things going on. By the way, did you know that my friend over here doesn't know Jesus? Father, would you, would you put a call on his life? The Bible, Jesus said no one can come to me unless the Father puts a call on their life. And so we pray that way for them. And we want to see that happen. But this morning, what, what I want you to do is, is to have this idea of this, this reverent fear. And it'll be life-giving to us. But there's this prayer that comes out of Psalms. It's a dangerous prayer. Remember I told you? God won't go someplace where you don't give him permission. This is the permission slip. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God. This is the permission slip. You're already saying, All right, God, here's my life. I'm going to stand right in front of you. Now search me. Just take a deep dive and look at everything. And then know my heart. God, because my heart can create idols. My heart can go far away from you. My heart reveals really who I am. So know my heart. And then test me, God, and know my anxious thoughts. Here's the thing that we get out of this. He says, and, and then it says, point out anything in me that offends you. Are you ready for God to point things out about your life that's offensive to him? Because when you do, he will lead you along a path of everlasting life. 
I mean, this, this, is, this is the greatest news ever. But there's the bad news before you get to the good news. You actually have to give God permission to get to the path of everlasting life. You have to give permission. This isn't a one-time deal prayer. This is like everyday kind of a prayer. All right, search me. Uh, something's going on inside here. I feel kind of yucky. I don't think that we're connecting as well as we used to. So search me and know me and test me. See if there's anxious thought. And then reveal to me, reveal to me what it is that's offensive to you that's keeping us from going deeper together. So when we come to the revelation, our request of the Holy Spirit is show me. Show me what you want to teach me. Show me who I am. Show me how I need to move along. The second thing we need to do is let the Holy Spirit refine our lives. So back to the second chapter of Acts, it's when on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost is basically 50, so it was 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. They're together, and the Holy Spirit, they're meeting together, they're praying they're, they're worshiping, and then suddenly there was a sound from heaven that was roaring mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were at, and, and they're all like in awe of this great thing that's, that's happening. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Great picture for us to see because so many times the symbolism for the Holy Spirit is fire. And the reason why it's fire is because fire is used as a refining tool. It heats things up, and when it heats things up, all the bad stuff, it, it, whether it's gold or silver or whatever precious metal, when you heat up that metal and you get it to a certain temperature, it has to get really hot, then the bad stuff floats to the top. It's called dross. And then you skim off the dross, and what's left after a number of these purifications is something that is pure and, and good. And the Holy Spirit wants to produce pureness and holiness within our lives. That's what he wants to do. And so part of our responsibility, because he's going to bring the fire to your life. He's going to bring it. Things are going to heat up in your life because what he wants to do is he wants to make you a pure and righteous and holy bride of Christ. But he, he has to bring the fire and heat it up so that your life gets rid of all the stuff that becomes a hindrance from him doing a greater work in your life. And so he turns up the heat. We have a responsibility in this whole process, in the process of the refining work of God in our life. The process for us, for our, our, our responsibility, is to stay in the process. Don't run away from it. Don't go, man, God, you've turned up the heat too much. i got to get out of here. This, this is more than I can take. And Jesus is going, no. No, it's not. I, I'm with you, always. We've got to do this. We've got to get the heat turned up because he will reveal stuff to you. But more importantly, he will refine your life when you turn up the heat. So don't run. Stay put. Get to know God in a deeper way. 
But you can't put out the Spirit's fire. Matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Let me tell you how you put out the Spirit's fire. You know when the Spirit of God is on you, when He's starting to turn up the heat, when He wants to do a deeper, newer work in your life, and you're going like, oh man, I don't know, and then all of a sudden, the the fire comes up, and when you run away from it, the fire goes out. The Holy Spirit's going like, okay, you you don't want to move in this direction, you don't want to go deeper, you don't want to deal with this issue, okay, and then the fire goes out. And then you've got to rekindle the fire with the Spirit. Confet, repent and confess. That's the pathway to rekindling the fire. But when you do that, it says that God himself, the God of peace, will sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of Christ Jesus. I, I want to hit this word sanctify real quick because I'm coming to the end, but you've got to get this whole thing on sanctify. Sanctification is where we're in the process of being made holy, but the word sanctify means to be taken and set apart for God's use to become holy. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is that he wants to sanctify you. Here's here's the fourfold promise or gospel that we talk about in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And somebody's going, who's that? That's the denomination we belong to. You're going, we belong to a denomination? Yeah, it's really important. You can tell how much I talk about it. But what what we know is, is this is what we say. Here's the four things we say in the Christian Missionary Alliance. That Jesus is your Savior got to have that first he is your sanctifier in other words through the holy spirit he keeps producing holiness in your life he is your healer and that means both physically mental emotionally relationally spiritually jesus is the one who brings the healing and then he's our coming king but god wants to sanctify your life through and through not a little bit but completely Body, soul, spirit, mind, the whole thing sanctified in God. He wants you to be pure and spotless as his bride. A guy by the name of Leonard Ravenhill, he said this. You know, we live in a day where we are more afraid of holiness than we are of sinful. So our request now in the refining part, when we talk to the Holy Spirit, when we're in our prayer time talking through the Father to in Jesus' name and the Holy Spirit's part of the conversation, what we say to him is we say this, change me. Holy Spirit, permission slip. Change me. I want you to know that God loves you just the way you are, but he loved you so much, he's not willing to leave you the way you are. And because God loves you so much, he's willing to bring the heat to your life. You know why he wants to bring the heat and bring the dross out of your life? Because he has in mind and knows that there's a better version of you waiting to be revealed when the dross is removed. Here's what happens when you do that. When the Holy Spirit starts this refining work in your life, people that have known you for a long time, they look at your life and here's what they go. 
I don't know what God's doing, but he's doing, no, you don't even say it that way. I don't know what's happened in your life, but something big is happening in your life because you're not the same person that you used to be. You act different, you speak different, you do things differently. You're a totally different person, and I don't know how that came apart, but here's what I do know. I want to know what happened to you and how can I get it. Or maybe it would be this way, that they would say, um, you have something more important in life than I've ever seen. So then our desire, our desired outcome for having the Holy Spirit refine us would be this. I want my life to be so attractive that people who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me. Let me say that again. I want people, I want my life, I want my life to be so attractive, little Christs, that people who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me. All right. I'm going to give you the last point real quick. Can I take two minutes? Nobody's going to say no. <laughs> no, we want to go home. Shut up. Sorry, that was my inner child speaking. So you guys are going, well, get on with it then. Okay, okay. All right, so here's the third thing that we need to do to, have, to live a holy Spirit-designed life and is that we need to let the Holy Spirit redeem our lives. God wrote the book on redemption. Redeeming love, <laughs> that wasn't what's-her-name. That was God. She just made it different for women to sit around and read it and cry a lot. Okay, uh, but God wrote the book on redeeming love. He's the one that is the master at redeeming someone's life. And I'm going to give this, this story to you shortly. The best story picture of a redeemed life in the entire Bible is the Apostle Paul. Because his name used to be Saul. And he was on a mission, he thought, from God. And his mission was to go out and to destroy this new thing called uh, the disciples of Jesus, these little Christ, these Christians. Matter of fact, he, he was a rising star in the religious world. And by, the re, by, that, by saying that, the religious world had higher rank and power than the political world. They carried all the weight, the power, the money, the authority, everything came from the religious leaders. And Paul was becoming, or Saul was becoming a superstar in that. And he went to the, to the leaders and he said, if you'll give me a certificate, I will hunt them down. All these Christians, I'm going to hunt them down. I'll imprison them. I'll drag them out of the synagogue, out of wherever they're at. And, and I'll even execute some of them. And they're going, here's the letter. Go get them. Sick them. So he's going like, I heard there's a pile of them down in Damascus. So he went down to Damascus. And on the way down to Damascus, the, the, the risen Jesus came and met Saul on the road to Damascus. You might have heard that road before. And it was a blinding light that knocked him off his donkey, knocked him off his donkey onto his fanny, and he couldn't see a thing, and he's sitting there. 
And, and here are the words that Jesus says to Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the re reply comes back, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The most dangerous man in all of Palestinian area, greater Jerusalem, Judea, Israel, the most dangerous man to the church is now sitting in a guy's house and God's, is God's telling his leaders down in Damascus, he's going, now I want you to go and Saul's over here and they're going, what? I'm not going to go see Saul. He'll kill me. No, 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 no. I've got Saul and he's over there and I'm going to do a greater work in his life. But he's the most dangerous man. He's breathed out murderous threats against the church. And Jesus goes, I've got this under control. And so uh, the second Ananias in the Bible, God taps him on the shoulder and says, go talk to Saul. And here's what he said to Ananias in Acts chapter 9. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. I've redeemed him. I've redeemed him. He was a murderer. He was a Jesus hater. I have met him. He's had a transformation. And all of a sudden, the guy who is out to kill all the Christians, he's, he's the greatest obstacle to the growth of the church, has now become the greatest spokesman for the church and for the for the cross of Christ. That's a redeemed life. Here's the news. Jesus wants to redeem your life. The Holy Spirit wants to redeem your life because you, you are a chosen instrument by God and he's got a mission for you, but he wants to redeem your life. So he wants to, you, you give him permission to reveal things to you. You give him permission to, revive, to refine your life and then you give him permission to come in and to redeem your life. And the thing that we say to the Holy Spirit here is use me. Holy Spirit, here I am. Every day you wake up, use me. Reveal to me, refine me, and use me. Let me finish where we started. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious likeness, into His image. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning it is uh, it's amazing what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives, the way that you're working and changing us from moment to moment, from glory to glory, our, our, our heart this morning is we want to become little Christs. We, we want to be transformed. We want to be changed. We want you to reveal to us what we need to know. We, we want you, God, to refine, refine my life. I don't, want to, I don't want to live in the dross. I want it to be pure and holy and usable, sanctified and set apart for your glory. And then I want you to use me, Holy Spirit. I want you to use me because I want to change the world. But I, I can't do it in my strength. I can't do it in my power. It can only happen because of your work in my life. And this morning, I pray for every person that's here. I pray, God, that you would minister to their hearts, that you would, you would just step into them, and that you, you've been working. I know you've been working here. You, 
You made the promise that whenever your word would go out, that you would bring back a harvest of right living from it. And so we thank you for that. Right now, just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. There's two things I want to do. First of all, right now, if you're going like, I just need one of those three things for the Holy Spirit to do in my life. I just feel convicted, not condemned, but convicted. And I just need you to pray for me that the Holy Spirit would have his way in my life, that I would surrender, that I would give him permission to search, to, to know, and to test me. If that's, that's your heart right now, just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I see that. Yep. I see it everywhere. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Now, put your hand up and turn, turn it towards heaven now. If, if, if you had your hand up, just turn it toward heaven. Father, you see these hands that are they're just, they're open to you and they're saying, Holy Spirit, come and do this work in my life. Do a deeper work in my life than I could. I, I need you. I need you to reveal to me. I need you. I'm giving you permission. I'm giving you permission to come in and work in my life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come into each of these persons lives that, that your people would, would just sense your presence right now, Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray that you would make this a reality to them. Father, I thank you that you have brought us together under your banner of grace. You can put your hand down. Some of you may be, huh, I would like the Holy Spirit, but I'm not even sure I have Jesus yet. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've not at, prayed a prayer to ask Jesus, like I said earlier, you've got to get the veil removed, and Jesus is the only one that can remove that veil. Here's the prayer I want you to pray. Just pray it to yourself. Follow me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for giving yourself up for me. Thank you for paying my penalty on the sin and for, for all those things you've done for me. And so now I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me of all of my sin, to remove it so that I don't live under condemnation, but that I get to live under your grace and under your mercy. And Jesus, I want you to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to come and do your work in my life right now. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. If somebody prayed that this morning, just slip your hand up. I want to see you. I see you. Yep, I see you. I see you. Listen, I see you. I, 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 want, you, I want you to go back to Pastor Matt. Uh, that's why we gave you these, these cards to fill out too, but I want you to go back to Pastor Matt. He's got a book for you called What's Next? That book is going to be helpful for you to get propelled, the spirit blowing, the wind working in your life for you to do that. God, may you just be praised. And Father, we worship you, we adore you, because you are mighty and awesome in all that you do. We pray this in Jesus' great and glorious name. And all God's people said...